While you're looking for Habakkuk, because you probably don't, aren't used to looking there, let me remind you on the 13th of October, we have our celebration dinner. Please come. Um, it's from, we'll have a short service that morning, and then from 11.30 to 1, we'll be a, have a meal served. We've invited guests, plumbers, electricians, city city people that were involved and the whole thing. And there's more of these out there. If you have people you would like to invite, please invite them. Okay. And so, um, make sure you take part in that. And cause part of it is we just want to thank you for all that you've done. So make sure you do that. Um, if you have Habakkuk, I'm going to go fast this morning. We're going to shotgun it out because I just kind of want to recap all the things I've been pondering on for the last six months. And so I think Habakkuk is a great, it's almost like what we're going through right now. And it's only three chapters. So we're going to do a quick Bible study of the book of Habakkuk. If you don't know what Habakkuk is about, Habakkuk was, the book of Habakkuk was written by Habakkuk. But it was at a time of national written at a time of national crisis. The nation of Israel was in despair, and he prayed. Chapter one is all that prayer. He is pouring out his heart to God in despair. He's saying um, the condition of the nation of Israel, our government, it's full of treachery. It's full of wickedness. It's full of excessive taxes violence, strife, contention. He says that the law is powerless. In other words, there's no justice taking place in the nation at that time. And what justice there is, it's perverse judgment. And it's the result of the evil people in control of that nation. And all of that came about because the nation had gotten slack on their worship of God. They'd basically turned their back on God. The other things became more important. And so you realize it's a very simple principle, but the less light there is, the more darkness there's going to be. And that's the way it was in the nation of Israel. And I think we can relate to that now. There is so much darkness. There's so much violence. There's so much confusion. Because as a, a nation, as the church of the body of Christ, we've gotten pretty slack in some of the, our attitudes towards God. There's so many distractions. There's so many discouragement is set in in a lot of places. And so darkness prevails, and he is just lamenting this. You know, he's talking about in verse 4, Therefore the law is powerful, powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Look at the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. And and that's what's going on in this chapter. And that's what he, and he's just, and one of the things, sometimes, you know, we don't want to be complainers. We don't always want to go to God and just complain, complain. Oh, God, it's so terrible. But we need to tell God sometimes, we need to get our face before God and tell him how we feel and what's going out and cry out to him and do it in faith because we realize he's our salvation. He's the salvation of the nation of Israel. He's the salvation of the nation of the United States He's the salvation of us individually and as a church body. In verses 8 through 11, let me read them quick. 
he's taught, he goes on, he says, um, the horses are swifter than the leopards and more fierce than the evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. That means the evil people in the nation. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. In other words, their only God is that to attain power and riches. Pretty similar to today, isn't it? The God that they serve is just to attain power and more riches. Verse 10, they scoff at kings. And princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, ascribing power to his God. His God is the power, the God of power and riches. And so we should be able to understand that. And God poured out his, or Habakkuk poured out his heart to God in verse 1, in chapter 1. In chapter 2, If you read it, and we're not going to read it all, but what happens as he's poured out his heart to God, God comes in on the scene and his heart and his vision begins to change. He starts to see things differently. And Habakkuk goes from despair to the realization of what by faith is going to happen. God puts it in his heart and his mind starts to catch up. Look at verse 14. He comes to this point. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so he's beginning to see through the eye of faith what God is going to do, how how all the bad is going to be turned to good, and there's still going to be evil, but the good is going to prevail. And Habakkuk goes from... Despair to the realization by faith of what is to come. Then we go to chapter 3. And this is his prayer. This is his concluding prayer, basically, is chapter 3. And his prayer is, God, revive your work. And his prayer requests are, in verse 2, revive your work. Look, and then... This is just a real quick summation. You can read this and study it for yourselves. Verse 10 through 12... He says, the mountains saw you and trembled. I thought this was really interesting. The overflowing of the water passed by. And the deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stilled still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. And at the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land with indignation. And you trampled the nations with anger. In other words, you threshed that which was evil. You went forth for salvation for your, for your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare the foundation to the neck. And you thrust through with his own arrows the head of the villages, and they came out like a whirlwind to scatter. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor. When you walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of your great waters, when I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, the rottenness entered my bones and trembled with myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. You know, as I read this, I was thinking all this happened starting in March. And I was pretty good with it. Everything, I had fun, you know, the whole getting back together. And then I hit about a week in August. 
and I just wanted to go someplace and rest from the day of trouble. It was just like I became overwhelmed, and it wasn't overwhelmed from fixing up from the flood. I'm just telling you where I was at at the time, and I think this is where we're at as a church body. I was overwhelmed at that time because I saw the physical work was done, and now the spiritual work needs to begin. It needs to be renewed. It needs to be refreshed. And we need to understand that's where we are as a church body. It's time. And then he goes on, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 19. This is verses, verse 17 is the devil. This is what the devil does. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there will be no herd in the stalls. If this scripture does not say what the devil tried to do to the state of Nebraska in March, what does? It pretty much sums it up. But then it goes on to verse 18, and this is what we do. There's what the devil does, there's what we do. And then there's what God does. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will give joy in the God of my salvation. Two years ago, Mike could see up on this wall where it said rejoice. And we're going to have it up there. Not as soon as I'd like, but he's working on it. And it's going to say rejoice because that's our part. When all these things happen, we need to rejoice in the Lord Joy in the God of our salvation. And when we do that, then verse 19, that's when God comes in on the scene. He is the, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. I believe that's the place where we're coming to. I believe that God is doing a new thing. I can remember the first work day after the flood, Carl Fuelberth was up here and I just walked by and I said, God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. Not just in the physical in this. I think the physical is a sign. A type and shadow of what God wants to do in the spirit. He wants to do a new thing. Caleb even had a dream early after the flood and there was an old tree out here and it died. And another tree sprang up, and it was more beautiful than the one before. And I believe that's where we're at. I believe that's where we're at as a church body. I believe that's where we're at as church corporate in this nation. That's what God wants to do. And you say we're just a few, and you say what can we do, but that's the thing. God just wants us to do our part. He can save by many or by few, and if every one of us, Little groups, little people, individuals will do what God wants us to do. And the first thing we have to do is turn our hearts back to God, full and 100%. In Isaiah, you don't even need to turn there. Just let me read read it for you quickly. In Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. And it says, do not remember the former things. Now, I put some pictures out in the lobby because I want you to remember a few of the four. I want you to remember what it looked like as compared to what it looks like now. And that's the church 
physically. But that's the same way God looks at people that are defeated and broken and there's an old you and a new you. He's been talking about that. Do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it will spring forth. And I don't think it's just for this church. I think it's for the body of Christ in this nation and I think we're just a part of it. And I think that's that's exactly where we are and we have to wake up to that fact and we have to begin to see it by the eye of faith. There's a commercial running on TV. I think it's during ball games because I see it. And it, it's these people and they say, some people say you have to see it to believe it. And it says, but we think that you have to believe it and then you see it. And really that's what faith is. You have to believe it And then you start to see it. So we've got to start to believe that God's doing a new thing. He's doing a new work. The physical part was just the preparation of what he wants to do. Faith is, I believe it, so then I will see it. So what one thing, the first thing we must, we've got to do is we've got to believe. We've got to believe God's doing a new work. God, we've got to believe that God's not done with this place yet. And I know you look, sometimes there's a lot of empty seats. This much I can tell you, the best ball team I ever played on, you could carry 12 members on the team, and our coach cut it to eight because she wanted eight people that were in unity. And we played so far above our own skill level because we played together. And that's where God wants us. And, you know, you look at this whole process that we went through. It went amazingly smooth. God has blessed us financially. He's just people coming. But why was it? Because we all worked together. There was no hot shot. There was no superstar. Everybody just came and did what they could do. And that's what God wants in the body of Christ right now. He doesn't expect this church to turn the whole United States of America upside down. He just wants us to do what we can do. And when we do that, we'll reach way beyond what we can do individually. I I was thinking about when there's water baptism, we believe in the baptism of immersion. And what that represents is when you go down into the water, old things are dying. And when you come up out of the water, all things become new. And we came up, we went down under the water. We're now up out of the water. All things have become new. And I believe that's right where we're at. We need to rise up from the, rising up from the water represents that old things have passed away. All things become new. See that, we see that here in the natural. We believe it here in the spiritual. And one of the things he read, I was afraid he was going to read what I was going to read today out of the devotional. Where is it? I thought I had it. It's here somewhere. Hold on with me. No, I've got it. Okay, this is um, from Wednesday, and it says, in due season, he will honor you. In farming, there's a time of sowing, a time for growing, a time for reaping. It's the same in God's kingdom. One missionary tells of hearing a group of seasoned leaders discussing their shared experiences 
from which a fascinating five-stage process emerged. All these people, after looking back on the life of their ministry, they realized they all went through this process. Number one was the birth of the vision. Initially, each of them was given a vision by the Holy Spirit, accompanied by the excitement and abiding awareness that it was from God. Stage two was the preparation. This is the stage where dreams are often aborted because we don't want to do the necessary preparation. When God gives you a vision, there must be some action on your part or it will never amount to anything more than a passing daydream. Stage three, the wilderness and the struggle. One of our biggest misconceptions is that something is really from God. There will be no struggle involved. That is a myth. You can almost guarantee a significant amount of struggle will be required. This stage is the proving ground of your faithfulness, and there's no substitute. Stage four, the realization of the vision. This is where we finally get to enjoy the fruits of our diligent preparation of God's faithfulness. This is what I think. I believe that this church, I, I, first I looked at it as our ministry because we've done this a long time. But this church has been here a long time and I believe this church as a corporate body has gone through those four stages. And then we kind of came some years and there was kind of a lull. And I know it's hard to wait through those, but God says, wait on me. I believe that on March 13th, 2019, stage four was finalized at this church. I believe that on March 14th, 2019, we entered in to stage five. Not just us, but us corporately, this church. And that is the new beginnings and vision these leaders all found themselves challenged again with fresh vision from the Holy Spirit. As a result, they concluded that their lives had been a continual cycle of ever-expanding vision, and as God entrusted them with more, it would take greater amounts of preparation and intensity, and the intensity of the battle would increase. That's what I was thinking in August. It's like, oh my God, we've got to start over. There's something more. God didn't do this just for us to be done as a church. He did this because we're going to start over. There's more to the vision of what God wants you to do. So now you understand this stage is a vision. So what's required of us? Number one, we have to believe. Number two, our, your personal time with God is vital. It talks about, I've been reading a lot in Isaiah and, and, and Jeremiah, and it talks about those that wait on the Lord. We have to wait on the Lord individually and as a church body because that's where the times of refreshing comes. That's where the strength of God comes. Not just going and, and, and you know, Habakkuk went from complaining and sobbing and he went to hearing from God, and that comes from being quiet and waiting on God. So the per, your personal time with God is vital. And then I want to, uh, I'll read in Psalm 133. This one is really important. This was kind of what I was talking about when I talked about my volleyball team. I believe one thing that, and that is so important for God to do this is unity. And the worship today, you know, they didn't know what I was going to talk about. He didn't know what I was going to talk about. God orchestrated the whole thing, and the, the worship was very much in unison. 
I think in years past, the last 30 years of the church, everything became about Mr. Big Gun, about Mr. Showoff, Miss Showoff. Everything, everybody was doing their own thing. Everybody wanted a little personal prophecy so somebody could get smoke blown up their rear ends. You know, and yes, there's times people have needs, and yes, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it, all of it is is about is bless me, bless me, bless me. It's not what the church is about, and there's not going to be any anointing. It's not about the big mega church where everybody just comes in at the last minute, leaves in a hurry because all I want to do is come and, and feel good about myself and leave. It's about us together corporately and what God can do. What ama- amazed me, what we did here. It, before that, it amazed me what we did with Night to Shine. And, and people have said, how can you do that? How can you? It's, it's that whole principle. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what you can do. But when we do it together in unity, it's what God can do through us. And it's so much beyond. It's that corporate that takes us beyond what we can do individually. And if you understand the principles of God in Psalm 133, it tells about it. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I don't think we had one fight or squabble or disagreement in putting this place back together. It was a blessing. That was the biggest blessing of all. It is like a precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. That's what he's talking about, the anointing. God anoints the unity of the believers. Running down on the edge of the garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded his blessing. Now I know some of the young people, even in this congregation. I know with Jasmine. I know with Caleb and Kaylee. I know with Micah. I know with Lucas. Some of it, there's a frustration in you. Because it's like, when, God, when? It's like I'm in this holding pattern. God wants to do a work with all generations. He's a God of all generations. And some of you think, oh, I'm so old, what can I do? If you can't do anything else, perch yourself in a rocking chair and pray for the younger generation. Pray for what God wants to do in the church. And if you're in the younger generation, don't get the idea that you can do it without the old ones. Every one of us is going to bring something to the table. We need you. But you need us. And that's in the, in the last 20, 30 years, every generation has done their own thing. We need to be together. And when we get there, man, you guys are going to be where God wants you to be. But the frustration is the waiting on that. The frustration is that holding pattern, waiting on the Lord. But Hagen always said, it's so much better to play catch up than clean up. You don't want to get ahead of God because then it becomes that individual thing. When you wait on God, it becomes the corporate. And that's where the anointing is. So we have to believe it. We have to have the time with God. Unity is so important. You know, unity in worship is so important. We just can't have everybody doing their own thing. We just need to be together. Yeah. 
And that's, that's a hard thing in churches. You know, that's one of the struggle places. But we just need to be together in unity. Look at what we can do. Look at what we can do when we're together. The unity of the vision, the unity and purpose, unity and worship. And then we need to realize that God's methods are always fresh and alive. It's not going to be like the 80s. It's not going to be like the 90s. But his character, his word, and his truth never changes. There are people out there, there are even people that claim to be churches, and they're saying, well, God's changed. God does not change. His word does not change. His methods will change. He will allow us to do different things, fresh things, but his word is always the standard. So don't get away from that. In, at the end of Habakkuk, in my Bible, there's a section called Truth in Action. Let me find. I lost Habakkuk here. And I want to read as kind of a conclusion It summed it up very good. It says, when all the circumstances of our present life are a negative picture in failure and loss, and when the natural reaction would be grief or complaint, this is the time to put your faith in God and his word. Thus we can see through God's eyes to the final glorious outcome. And that's what we need to start seeing. We need to see things through God's eyes. Realize that God's methods will be different. It's going to be fresh and alive. And then the thing is, this is where we need to be. And we're going to move on from here. When I played ball, I absolutely detested, had a fear of being a bench warmer. I did not want to sit and watch everybody else play the game. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be, and as Christians, as a church, we've got to develop that mentality. That doesn't mean you go out and you're the Michael Jordan, the one that ever, or the whoever. It's a team thing, but you want to be a player. We want to be a part. I do not. I know we're getting old, and things are going to shift with our ministry, but I don't want to get left out of what God's doing. I want to be in the game. And we got to develop. And I, I realize when you have kids, there are so many distractions. And we can allow so many distractions to come. If they are distractions that are keeping you away from the priorities of God, then they're distractions. And the most anointed word you can ever say is no. Get back. Make sure that your priorities are right. Make sure you're spending time with God because you want to be a player. God And his plans and his purposes must be the top priority in our lives if you want to be in the game. And I want to be in the game. We're going to conclude. I just want to read Psalm 46. I read some of this last week because this is, I told you where I had been stuck the last few weeks. So we're going to conclude with Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. He has proved that. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river, and this is the river of God's supply, that shall make the glad the city of God, not only supply financially, but supply, I believe, supply of the Spirit of God, the anointing of God. The holy place of the dwelling of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. 
She shall not be moved or shaken. God will help her just at the break of dawn. We always think, you know, we've looked at this as a perspective. God always shows up last minute, 1130 at the end of the day. No, really, God shows up at the break of dawn. He shows up at the beginning of the new day. He's always out ahead of us. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, but he uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come and behold the works of the Lord. This is interesting as they study. Come and behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. What this is where it says he who has made desolations, it means a better translation is astonishing and terrific, terrific events. God is going to do astonishing and terrific things. Yeah, we hear about all these terrible things that are going on, and it can create fear in your mind, but God's going to do astonishing and terrific events. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. That's of those that are doing evil. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I'm God. And this is what he's telling us, and this is where we need to see as a nation. You know, we talk about the end times are going to be hard, and they are for those that aren't serving God. But this is what God says. This is his conclusion. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. I can't wait. I don't want to miss it. I want to be in the game. I want to be there when that state championship trophy or is handed out. I want to be there. Don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. And he concludes, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So this is what I've been thinking about the last six months. I think this is where we're at right now. I don't think it's a time to be discouraged. I got over my August thing. I got over my August thing because the God of Jacob is with us. The God of Zion is with us. And he will be exalted. But we just need to make sure that we're in his game plan. We need to make sure that we're playing this game together. We make, need to make sure that we spend time with God and stay refreshed and be still and know that he's God. At some point, we can do all the things. I go to stores and I look at the people and I see the immense need and I can't fix it, but God can. And that's where we've got to be still and know that and then we just got to do what he wants us to do. Back in the, right in the beginning of our ministry, I had, it was a, it was the darkest time, the, the hardest time, and it was a struggle. And I had a supernatural experience with God and he gave me four directives. And this back in the eighties, he said, sooner than you think must be prepared. No fear and strategy. Those are four directives. That word is now today. I don't understand it all, but that word, God will give you a word. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come to pass the next day, but we're in that word now. Abe and Jasmine stand up. Just like me, there's the old Abe and the old Mike. There's more that's got to go. And you know that. 
But today was a taste of what is to come. And your job in the days ahead is to help develop the gifts. And there's one behind you. And there's there's a gift there, and it's a great gift. And And so be willing to step back like I'm going to have to step back in the days ahead and let that gift shine. And as that gift shines, everything shines. Amen? The two of you are so caught up in the now. But there are days ahead that you're going to say, wow. That's why the enemy will try to breed so much frustration and discouragement and to stop you in your tracks and keep you looking back. But your job is to look forward and what is ahead. For everything you're living now is just temporary. God has a future and a a good plan for your life. It's going to be filled full of joy and not strife. So learn to rest and take one day at a time. And know that he is God. You're the seed of a righteous man and woman. And your future is bright. So don't just get caught up in the now. Remember, there's a future, and there will be a day that you'll say, wow. See, everybody needs a word sometimes. And that's that's a word for all of us. The future is going to be, wow. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Well, Father, we thank you for today. Well, thank you, Lord, for the prophetic anointing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace to flow today. I pray, Father, that the people have heard what you have had to say. We love you. And we look forward to all that you have prepared for us to do. We're willing, we'll be obedient, and we'll eat the good of the land. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, as a pastor, because I'm a pastor, I look out and like Kathy says, there's, there's people that are gone today, and maybe for good reasons, I understand that. But Brad, you need to, where's Brad? need to make sure that we get these people that aren't here today the message. And and I'm going to ask them strongly to listen to it because it was important. Amen? Well, look to your neighbor and say, I think he's done. Go home. God bless you.